0: on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Steelmakers, which obviously has an impact on this Hamilton economy. The Canadian steelmakers apparently are finding it hard to satisfy U.S. orders due to the tariffs put in place by the Trump administration. Joining us to talk about the impact, uh, Marvin Ryder, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Good morning. How good, you doing? Good, glad to be here, Bill. Uh, we shouldn't really be
1: surprised by this headline, are we? No, well, I thought maybe just before we talk about that, I should just get people up to speed where we are in the ongoing trade war. Friday was an important day, not for Canada, but on Friday, Mr. Trump's tariffs against uh, second round of tariffs against China came into effect, affecting roughly $36 billion worth of product. Immediately, China countered with $36 billion of their own. One of the big differences with the, the American tariffs were primarily on Chinese industrial goods designed to affect business but not affect consumers in a big way. China, on the other hand, in retaliating, went, no, we're going after things that affect people in their pocketbooks, uh, so they were going after more consumer goods. That then led Mr. Trump, as he was about to vacation in New Jersey for the weekend, to say, well, you know, I'm thinking about putting more tariffs on Chinese goods, maybe, maybe $200 billion, maybe $500 billion. and China's response, as you might guess, was, you do that to us, we're going to reciprocate to you. So it's clear that that war is not de-escalating between the United States the United in China. In Canada's case, we are only on that first round of tariffs, which is involving steel and aluminum, twenty-five percent on steel, ten percent on aluminum. The question that that people want to know is what impact is that having today? And the immediate impact is actually relatively small. It's not like you and I go to a grocery store and buy a pound of steak or a pound of beef or a pound of something else. Steel producers uh, and their buyers or their purchasers enter into long-term agreements. So if I'm a car company, I don't need a pound of steel. I need an ongoing supply of steel, and I want to be sure of its quality, so on and so forth. And I contract that to be delivered over a year. So, for the moment, we haven't seen a lot of orders canceled by American companies for 2018. For 2018, they're still taking delivery, they're paying paying the tariffs, we call it eating the tariffs, paying it on behalf of other things, and they're surviving. The problem comes when nice salespeople from Stelco and DeFasco go to their companies, who often buy from them, and say, now, let's talk 2019 and 2020. And at this point, they are reluctant, I think that's the best word I can Mm. use, reluctant to sign those orders today. Um, If these tariffs are going to be here for the long term, meaning two years, three years, five years, ten years, then they're probably much more interested in finding an alternate supply somewhere in the United States so they don't have to keep paying the tariffs. And so they've begun to explore. Now, there are many feelings that these tariffs, as, as deep, and escalating as this war is, that these tariffs are not going to be here for five or ten years. That in fact they could come off as soon as November, December, after these midterm elections in the United States. This is based on the assumption that the Democrats will do better, and that they will then choose to rein in the president, who many people feel the are are doing these illegal tariffs. That he's actually putting tariffs on in a way that he doesn't really have the power to do in the name of national security, and that another, if there was another party controlling the House and the Senate, they would rein him in and say, sir, you're overstepping your authority. So right now, if I'm a buyer of steel products in the United States, I'm in a quandary. I'd like to keep buying from Canada. I like the quality of the products here. I'm comfortable with the supply chain and all those sorts of things, but I don't want to be paying 25% more for something. The only other thing that's in our favor at the moment, Bill, is since these tariffs were announced, the Canadian dollar has fallen a little bit. So it's 25%, but on a reduced Canadian dollar, so it's not really 25% to the bottom line. It's more like 20% to the bottom line but nonetheless this is the challenge right now and so that's why we'd like to have certainty sooner rather than later i think that's also why christia freeland is trying desperately to restart the nafta talks because you'll remember that in april and may when nafta talks were ongoing with mexico and the united states we were exempt from those tariffs Mm -hmm. it was only when mexico had to pull out because of the mexican presidential election that trump said no longer are there any exemptions for you Uh, So if we could get back to the table and maybe even get a deal in July, August, early September, maybe that would bring an end to those tariffs. And that's why I think she's trying to go down that road. Uh, So many different aspects to this, and and one of them obviously has
0: to be political. I mean, I think... Maybe one of the mistakes we're making on this side of the border is we're looking at NAFTA from strictly a business standpoint and say, well, you know, uh, supply management, uh, you know, softwood, lumber, on and on. But there's a political angle of this down in the States that maybe even supersedes that is he needs this right now with those midterm elections, he needs to look like he can beat his chest and say, look at, they're screwing us around, and I'm fighting back for America. It's in his best interest to keep these in place until at least November.
1: Right. Now, again, I have to answer that in two parts. There's, There's Trump playing to his base, and his base wants to see a proactive or active president taking on the world. So he's taking on China, he's taking on Now, why Canada fires up his base is a little beyond me. I can see going after China. Uh, China is sort of the boogeyman out there. Everyone says, "Oh, that damn China! Look how it's wrecking our economy." I, I don't—I didn't realize that there were a lot of people in the United States who was looking at Canada, thinking that we're also a boogeyman in the room. Don't you remember South Park for? Yeah, I guess yeah. Blame Canada. Blame Canada. Yeah. I, I thought he'd be doing Mexico, but for whatever reason, all of his examples now seem to be Canadian rather than Mexican. Although he blames the Mexicans for. Uh, for illegal immigration. So you're right to his base. Now, the problem that is, Bill, is that his base represents roughly 40% of the electorate. How do you appeal to the 40% who are Democrats or the 20% who swing back and forth between the two? This type of rhetoric I don't think helps. And um, it's fascinating to me that he's not chosen to put out any olive branches to win over that swing twenty percent. It was that swing twenty percent that got him the last election, but they seem to be swinging in the opposite direction. So I, I just I don't know if this is a good strategy. But you're right, that's his base, and he he's going to use us and beat up on us in these in these um, well, shall we say, campaign style rallies that he has across the United States. But the other element to this, and and again, it goes back to
0: some of the promises that he made. Uh, we all know, anybody who, you know, basic 101 economics, he's not going to restore the auto industry to the way it was back in the 1960s. That just can't happen. He's not going to be able to revive a faltering steel industry because the steel industry is a worldwide problem, not just a U.S. problem. And and when that doesn't happen, when those people in in Ohio and Michigan are saying, where are these jobs you promised us? He's got a point and said, "What's well, their fault. It's not me because Trump yeah. will never accept the blame for anything. And he even said that with the the North Korean thing a couple of weeks ago. Remember? <laughs> yeah. He said if it doesn't work out, I'll just find somebody to blame for it.
1: <laughs> right. Well, uh, you know, we just talked about that for half a second. So the the jobs that were lost, whether it's here in Canada or or others, I know I've have spoken to many people off air about this, and they all want to blame Mexico or Alabama or something like that. And the, the, unfortunately, what's happened in the last thirty years. Most companies are producing as many cars or pounds of steel or whatever it happens to be as they ever have, but with fewer workers thanks to automation. Exactly. It's not thanks to Chinese, and there's no way they're going to reverse that. I had the pleasure a couple of weeks ago of touring the Toyota assembly plant in Cambridge, and, and they make a car there. It takes 22 hours to make a car start to finish. They turn out a car every 68 seconds, and you, you watch this ballet of... Um, Automation taking place of welding. Now, they still have lots of people there. They have the people doing the things that people can do. Machines can't problem solve. They can only do the tasks you program for them, so they use the people to problem solve. But you're just not going to bring those jobs back. And so, right, he's got to blame somebody, I suppose, if he can't seem to make it all come back. But it also seems to be living in some distorted past that we don't have any hope of recovering. And this is where. Setting aside Mr. Trump for a second, his, we'll call it his executive team, Mr. Lighthizer, the ambassador in charge of these things, and Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, they strike me as more practical people who kind of know the lay of the land. I, 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 I think they're not upset with the boss putting pressure on places like Canada and Mexico. Uh, except the idea is let's get Canada and Mexico to make concessions to us without giving something back. So you started that comment by mentioning supply management, and I don't want to scare any any farmers or people in the dairy industry listening to us, but it, it is time that we do some some modernization of supply management. We've done some of that with TPP-11. We've done some of that with our free trade deal in, in the European Union, and and moving to a more open market is not outside the question. It's just that we're not going to unilaterally serve that up unless we get something back in exchange. So you you withdraw this request, and we'll do that for you. And that's the essence of a negotiation. Donald Trump's negotiation is just give me what I want, and I won't give you anything. The, the problem, though, is that we're, we're really kind of blind in this. We may
2: well
0: have given concessions on supply management. We'll never know because we don't get the specifics. And we do know, as you and I talked about a few weeks ago, there was a tentative NAFTA deal that Trump simply threw back and ripped up and said, I don't want this. That could have been the deal. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but your point is well taken. I mean, Trump does not look, he's not looking for fairness here. He's looking for capitulation.
1: It seems to be his tact. You, you, again, you make a point, Bill, that we were trying to bring NAFTA to a conclusion. The, one of the things we said to Mr. Trump is, "What what is your end game in these NAFTA negotiations? Uh, what would what would make you happy? And, and again, speaking of the car industry, that is the major plum in NAFTA. Uh, He wants more North American content in cars that are exempt from tariffs, and he wants more American content. And we had put forward some ideas that would really acknowledge all of the American content that's out there. Uh, I think those ideas were also embraced by the Mexicans. So I don't think they were the problem at the table. I just don't think that turned out to be enough for Mr. Trump. Even though that was the big plum, they said, if that's your big plum, here it is, we can sign the deal he wanted more. So we'll, we'll have to see when the tariff mean when we get back to the trade table, just what more things he wants, I, I am still hopeful that we can get a deal, but the way to do it is to ignore his rhetoric, stay focused on the task at hand. And I should note as well, Bill, on the weekend I saw a poll of Canadians. 71% of Canadians think that Justin Trudeau and, and his senior advisors are doing a great job with this fol- folio. And I have to say I agree, too. Uh, you can't be distracted by Mr. Trump. That's how he wins in these negotiations. But and
0: of the 30 that are not crazy about it, some of those are, are people in these industries that are saying, you know, what's what's our long-term plan? I mean, ArcelorMittal, DeFasco, and Stelco, who's still, still trying to get their legs back under them, are looking at us and saying, we can't go week to week on this. We're going to have to have some long-term orders, and
1: right now nobody's biting. Mm-hmm. Or not enough people are biting. I shouldn't okay, make yeah. it seem like it's a zero-sum game, but not enough people are willing to sign the contracts. That doesn't mean they won't sign it next week or the week after if we can give them some certainty and make well, these tariffs well, go away. It,
0: it, if Trump's wish were to come true... Uh, and they're going to start looking inward and say, we have to just go to the U.S. steel mills. Is there
1: enough capacity in the U.S. steel industry to to meet all the needs of of what the U.S. needs right now? Yeah, so that's the difference between the the crisis in steel versus the crisis in aluminum. American aluminum mills are operating at nearly 100% capacity, and they can't meet all the demand. That's why they need Canadian aluminum, primarily out of Quebec. Steel's in a different story. Steel is operating at around 80% capacity. Uh, There is still a global... um, Uh, I don't want to call it a glut of steel, but there's just a lot of steel ability out there. And and inconceivably, it would be possible for American companies. Here's the problem. So U.S. Steel gets contacted by somebody and says, I now want to buy from you rather than those Canadian steel mills. U.S. Steel would have to start up that capacity. That's going to take the better part of six to nine months. And they're f- afraid to start that capacity now to have it available in nine months if, during those nine months, you sign a deal and the, t- the capacity is not needed. As we know here in Hamilton, and, and I know people uh, listening to us, their dream, and you talk about Trump's dream, their dream here in Hamilton is a, a, a restart or, or perhaps a brand-new blast furnace in yep. Hamilton. But that's a $50, $75 million process that t- would take nine months to a year. You don't go spending that kind of money unless you're pretty sure you're going to need that capacity, and that's the problem. If the tariffs are reversed tomorrow, then the demand for U.S. steel to start up its plant goes down. I actually think Trump's end game here, as much as it is to get orders to American steel companies, is also just to just to disturb the marketplace. If he can get people to rethink their long-term contracts or delay them, in that sense, he's already won because he's causing uncertainty in the marketplace, and that's really what what he wants to do, because then Again, that will put pressure on the Canadians and the Mexicans. Come back to the table, be more conciliatory, or look what I'm able to do in your market space. And and I, I'm, in this case, I I'm dug in my heels. I don't want to see the bully win. <laughs> well, I, yeah, well, I, I, that, that's a growing camp as far as that goes. Uh, and we have to, I
0: guess, always remind ourselves that uh, you know this is not just an isolationist thing. This is not Canada versus the U.S. Because what he's doing here. He's also doing to European nations, to the UK. I mean, this, this is a, a
1: global problem. Exactly. He's doing it to everybody, Bill. And this is what you find even more bizarre. If, if this fight was just between the United States and China, I'm going to say maybe it's understandable. China has grown. It's the second largest economic power. America is feeling threatened. So this is their way of responding to it. But he's taken on everybody, Canada, Mexico, the European Union, uh, India, Japan, uh, everyone around the world who who were seen as allies of the United States, and you hear them in these rallies saying, "It's time to you know, it's time for them to get off the gravy train." They've taken advantage of us. They've hurt us. B- Bill, if if these other countries have hurt the United States, it's because American industry has not remained competitive. It has nothing to do with the president. It has nothing to do with the tariff policy. It might be because American industry has gotten fat and hasn't hasn't innovated and been efficient and what have you, as other places in the world have. You visit South Korea. You visit Japan. Japan's a country that has no natural resources, and yet it can be competitive in industries because of its investments in technology and and staying ahead of the curve. This is probably what they need, but that's too difficult to blame yourself. It is just easier to blame other people, and that seems to be his game plan. So it's, it's a global trade war. Frankly, Bill, again, I cannot see how Trump wins a global trade war, but here's the other side of it. I can't see how he ends it. The only way to end this war, because everybody's response has only been to match the United States. No one's the aggressor here. It's only the United States is the aggressor. So for the war to end, the aggressor has to say, okay, enough. I'm calling time out, and I'm going to back up. China, Canada, European Union have all said, the minute you cancel your tariffs, ours are gone in a heartbeat. We're responding to you. And I just don't see him capitulating now. Maybe after the midterm elections, if he doesn't get his way, that might change the tune. He may be forced to capitulate, but right now he's in his glory. Marvin
0: Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business, uh, not a happy ending. Well, maybe we don't know the ending yet. Thanks for coming in today. (laughs) Middle ground. I guess guess so, yeah. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show
1: podcast on 900 CHML.
0: One of the other major uh, concerns, of course, about the tariff battle that's going on right now that we were discussing in the last segment is, uh, as Marvin mentioned, the Canadian Automobile Association, uh, the auto sector in general, frankly. And a report by the uh, Canadian Automobile Dealers Association says that Canada responding to potential auto tariffs could have catastrophic consequences on the Canadian industry. Michael Hatch is a chief economist with the Canadian Automobile Dealers Association, and he joins us on The Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Michael, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today.
2: Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate
0: it. Well, this is very pertinent information, obviously, because, uh, you know, we talk about, obviously, the importance of steel, even in our local economy here in the Hamilton area. But uh, auto parts manufacturing is a big part of the Hamilton economy. And, of course, we've got plants all over the place in Oakville, Cambridge, et cetera, places like this. I mean, this uh, this is pretty dangerous stuff when you start talking about auto tariffs.
2: Yeah, it it really is. I mean, we put out a report a few days ago that outlined the threat in a worst-case scenario. And when I say worst-case scenario, I mean a couple of things that are still largely hypothetical. The first, of course, being uh, the potential um, imposition of tariffs on automotive imports into America by the U.S. government, which is something that the president has threatened, uh, you know, as recently as as a few days ago, uh, and as high as 25%, which would be catastrophic, obviously, for the Canadian manufacturing side of things. Uh, you know, we make almost 2 million vehicles a year in Canada that get exported to the US market. A 25% tariff would have a catastrophic impact on that manufacturing footprint. We represent, of course, the retail side of the economy in Canada, the dealers, which there's more than 3,200 in every town and city across the country, 156,000 people working for those dealers. Um, and and the worst case scenario for us is if Canada then responds in kind with a retaliatory tariff on uh, vehicle imports coming into Canada, which would represent a tax, like on a Canadian consumer, of between five and $9,000. So these are massive numbers. Uh, you know, more than 100,000 jobs would be at risk in Canada in the event of that worst-case scenario, but we're optimistic that the worst can be avoided.
0: Well, I hope you're right. Uh, I, I want to go back maybe to, to Tariffs 101, if we could, for just a second, Michael, because I know you touch on this in the report. About the cost to consumers, and, and obviously from the Dealers Association, that's that's the, the lens in which you're looking at this, and that's understandable. That's part of the economy. That's whether or not I can afford to buy a car or my daughter can afford to buy a car. Uh, these are all major concerns that all of us are going to be sharing at this stage. But from the, what you're telling us in the report, uh, the concern here should be on both sides of the border because this is going to impact U.S. consumers as well.
2: well. Well, you're absolutely right. And the immediate threat right now as it stands today uh, the immediate burden is, is faced primarily by the U.S. consumer. The U.S. consumer right now is staring down the barrel of this potential tariff imposition by the United States because re- really, uh, you know, as we've said in our comments today, in a, in a trade war, you're not pointing the guns at the enemy. You're pointing the guns at yourself. And pulling the trigger on a tariff is really imposing a massive tax on, on yourself. Um, and, and again, we're, we're confident that in Canada the worst can be avoided in terms of a reta- retaliatory strike. Um, if America does go ahead and impose its own tariff on automotive imports, which, of course, they may well do. We, we, we hope they don't, but we can't hope to have any control over, over what America does. But we can't control what we do here at home. Um, and, and what we're saying is that there is a growing sort of realization, I guess, if not a consensus, that we just can't afford to keep going tit for tat with America, particularly when we're talking about the size and scope of the industry that's impacted here. We're talking about $150 billion, that's billion with a B, in annual automotive trade that exists in Canada and the United States, that would be put at risk in any kind of tariff war. Uh, and ultimately, the consumer would would pay that price. And what we are advocating for is policies that are pro-consumer. Ultimately, if the consumer is looked after, then the economy is going to be in better shape and, and our members are going to sell more vehicles. So uh, w- we really think the consumer should be paramount uh, in, in all policymaking right now, though it's the American consumer that, that is facing the most immediate threat.
0: Michael, I don't want to drag our, both you and me into the quagmire of the NAFTA negotiations, but obviously the auto sector is a big part of that. Uh, but what car is made in America, what car is Canadian, et cetera, on back and forth. And I don't know that, that that debate has been settled yet between those people that are sitting around that negotiating table, but that's certainly going to have an impact on, on what we're talking
2: about now. Yeah, of course it is. And you know, NAFTA is a, almost a 30-year-old agreement that uh, you know should be updated in certain key areas. Um, but the reality is that over the past nearly three decades of NAFTA, the North American auto industry on the manufacturing side has become one of the most integrated and one of the most competitive in, in the entire world. Um, so certainly, given the fact that it's almost 30 years old, there are some things that can be updated to, to, to reflect uh, the modern world and, and, and the modern economy. Uh, but obviously, we're in favor of retaining NAFTA largely uh, as it has existed over the past 25, 30 years. Uh, it's made for again, the most, one of the most competitive automotive manufacturing industries in the world between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Um, and it's brought, more importantly, untold benefits to the consumer on our side of the border in America, in Mexico. Uh, ultimately, trade is about bringing, um, bringing benefits to the consumer, which it has done. I mean, in Canada, we're coming off in 2017 the fifth consecutive record year for new car sales and the first time we've ever hit 2 million new car sales in Canada, in fact, was in 2017. And we set the record five straight years. And we're right on that 2 million pace again this year. Uh, so the consumer is responding to the benefits that have been brought to, to the economy through NAFTA and, and, and other developments over the past uh, number of decades. That has really increased the vehicle or sorry, the value proposition in the new vehicle market. When you look at the quality of the product that's available for the price today, uh, it's really better than it ever has been. The consumer has continued to respond to that. Uh, so, you know, what we're saying is let's not do anything to jeopardize that.
0: And I understand that. And that's one of the frustrations I'm sure that they're feeling uh, in those negotiations. It, it just seems as if Trump's concept here is to try to unbundle that supply chain that's been woven so delicately over so many years. And I, I don't know that you can even do that uh, without destroying the whole thing. But, again, that's not something that you guys deal with. You just have to deal with the, the fallout from situations like this. And, and you know, the, again, to put this in context... I mean, this is an industry that's gone through an awful lot of ups and downs. In 2008, 2009, of course, the industry got knocked to its knees. A lot of industries did, of course, because of that recession. But they've come back, especially from the retail standpoint.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's a lot of people working in the industry today that that weren't even around for that. But I was. That's a decade ago now. Um, And we saw what happened overnight, nearly. We lost almost 20% of our market in Canada when the recession hit at the end of 2008 and going into 2009. It was a very challenging time. for the industry. We think that the current threat is potentially even worse than that. The, the potential downside on this tariff escalation or potential tariff escalation it, it could be even much more severe than what we saw in 2008-2009. Uh, but again, we're, we're confident that the worst can be avoided. Uh, after 8 09, you know, there was a lot of um, pain in the industry. There were a lot of people that lost their jobs. But Since then, we've recovered, again, to a point where we've set five consecutive Uh, sales records in Canada. So the industry did come back. Uh, Employment uh, on the retail side in Canada is at record highs and it has been for a number of years now. So it did come back. You know, we we feel that whatever happens in the short term with regards to our trade position with the United States, um, you know, the industry will be okay in in the long term. But, you know, we have a a short and immediate term to get through before we get to the long term. And we hope that in that short and, and medium term, that, you know, again, the worst can be avoided and that cooler heads will prevail and and we will continue to see an integrated North American auto sector that will continue to bring massive benefits to the consumer and and to the worker on both sides of the border.
0: There are some numbers here that we need to talk about and and again, I don't want to spend too much time going back to that recession, but I mean, it was was devastating Uh, and we lost some iconic franchises and dealerships here in the Hamilton area that have been around for generations. Uh, and, and there's still one or two of those as you drive by vacant buildings now, to think, you know, that's that's the the cost of, of bad economics and how things can be, and we don't want to see that. And the, your suggestion that what might happen here in this tariff war could be even more devastating is, is rather daunting. So we need to do this. But as you mentioned a few seconds ago, uh, there's not much we can do about the U.S. side. I mean, he may still do this no matter what. I don't know what would trigger him to do it, uh, but he could do it. It just seems to be, you know, what Trump is threatening right now, and there's an empowerment, I guess, to what he wants to do. If that happens, uh, you don't want to see us retaliate in like, in like fashion, because obviously you, that would trigger what you've just described to us here. So what would the suggestion be from, from the, your association that the, the government should do? What kind of strategy should they follow?
2: Well, look, it's, it's a near impossible situation if you're, if you're the government, and we're not here to um, you know, question their approach to date. What we're dealing with, I think everybody acknowledges, is a uniquely unpredictable government coming out of America, a uniquely unpredictable set of circumstances that we have to deal with now as, as, a, as an ally and as a partner to, to, to America. Um, you know, what we think that we're trying to say to the government and we think that there's, a, a, again, a growing feeling is that we just can't afford to continue to match tit-for-tat if America decides to go down this road Um, we can't afford to match them in terms of retaliatory tariffs on auto uh, trade between Canada and the United States. It would just be too catastrophic. The impact on the consumer in Canada would be devastating, and the impact on employment in Canada would be devastating. So, you know, what we're urging the government to do is to continue doing what what they've been doing, which is leveraging all of those voices in the United States that share our position and that share our concerns, whether it's congressional leaders or you know, governors of the 35 out of 50 states in America whose number one trading partner is Canada. It's 35 out of the 50 states uh, trade with Canada more than any other country. So you know, trade with Canada is hugely important to the vast majority of Americans. Uh, there's a, a huge number of political leaders in Congress and in, and in the states that are delivering that message on our behalf, and our government, to their credit, it is engaging with those people and pushing that message. But ultimately, of course. We can't control, nobody can control what the president does, particularly this president. Um, And and if he does pull the trigger on tariffs um, in terms of auto imports going into America, again, we just can't afford to match that dollar for dollar or tit for tat. Uh, We've got to look at other ways to uh, mitigate what would be a very challenging set of of circumstances. But again, we hope that the the worst can be avoided. Uh, We have to continue renegotiating NAFTA in good faith, as we have been doing. And and hopefully we can arrive at a at a at an agreement and a set of uh, policies uh, that everybody's happy with, and that we can all walk away with, and that everybody can um, present as a victory to to their respective electorates.
0: Uh, what you've just outlined is a very pragmatic and, and, and well-thought-out approach to this, and I agree with it totally. The, the problem, I guess, among many that, that we're facing right now is there's a political element to this that you and I have no control over, and that's the fact that there's an election going on in the states, and protectionism plays well to the to, to the Trump base and to, to some of those people that may gravitate toward that. And uh, you have to put that on the same plate as as well, the impact it's going to have on many of those states that are trading with us right now. It's a matter of, uh, you know, who's going to win that that, that battle of the minds.
2: Yeah, that's right. And obviously we're well aware of the political dynamics going on in the states. I mean, we've been in touch with our American counterparts representing U.S. dealers, and they're, of course, even more plugged into what's going on in, in America. And they themselves are advocating, as we are, for the American consumer, because ultimately if the consumer is taken care of, then our members and the economy is, is taken care of. But obviously we're aware of, of the political reality in America. We've got midterm elections for Congress coming up. Uh, you know, you've, you've got every Congress man and woman uh, standing for re-election. You've got a third of the Senate in America standing for re-election, and there's a possible uh, possibility of a switch in in one or both of those houses in terms of who who's running the show. So it's a it's a very fluid set of political uh, circumstances in America, and that's obviously uh, you know part of the process. and And, and it would be naive to bury your head in the sand and pretend that that's not part of the process. But it's also part of the process on the other side of things because there's plenty of people in America and in some of those key congressional districts and se- and Senate races uh, where people are increasingly realizing that, hey, you know what, maybe there's a downside to this kind of rhetoric coming out of the White House. Maybe there's a downside to imposing a 25% tax on ourselves. Um, And, and, you know, we're seeing that message being delivered in terms of the political process in America as well. And it's being delivered to the president and his team through the congressional leadership that, you know what, Um, perhaps it's not the best idea to impose a 25% tax on ourselves on an industry and on a trading relationship that's worth a half a billion dollars every single day. Uh, so we hope and we're confident that in the end that positive message will win out um, in the current political cycle in, in America.
0: If, in fact, these are imposed, though, and again, if, if you know Trump is totally oblivious to that common-sense approach to this, uh, to, again, I to, want you know, to go back to the 2009 recession where actually the federal and, and in this case Ontario, of course the provincial government, stepped up and said, look, we've got to help the auto industry and there were some tax incentives, there were some loans, etc. But anyway, there's a package put together uh, to try to make it viable. Uh, would you be looking for some sort of action like that from the government as a, as a protectionist move as opposed to retaliatory tariffs?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, what we're calling on the government to do is, is to be ready, to, to be ready for the, for the worst, to prepare for the worst and hope for the best, which is what we're doing as, as an association, as an industry, and as individual members. But if it gets to the worst-case scenario where, where tariffs are imposed by America and, and then retaliatory action imposed by the Canadian government, um, you know, we're looking at the government to be ready with a suite of policies to support the industries and the consumers that are going to be impacted. So what we're asking for is for any length of time that Canadian retaliatory measures would hypothetically be in place to have a sales tax exemption for new car sales in Canada. We're also asking the government to consider a robust vehicle scrappage program, which would be an incentive for consumers to retire and get rid of older, dirtier, more polluting vehicles and replace them with new cars, which has the added benefit of uh, uh, you know, having a, a very strong environmental component to it as well, given the fact that new cars are so much cleaner, so much more fuel-efficient than old, old vehicles. And and, and that's a, a policy that has been implemented in the past with success to help the industry th- through challenging times and to give a benefit to the consumer, um, who, again, ultimately will be paying the biggest price in any kind of escalation and, and tariff war with, with America. But we're urging the government not to get there, obviously, and, and to avoid that worst-case scenario. And obviously, that the, they're doing... Uh, that And they have the same viewpoint that, you know, we have to do everything in our power to, to avoid that, that scenario where we're imposing massive multi-billion tax hikes on ourselves, which, again, is effectively what you're doing in a, in a tit-for-tat tariff escalation.
0: Michael, you mentioned earlier you're in conversation, obviously, with your American counterparts, the American automobile dealers. Uh, are, are they speaking with one voice with you on this issue?
2: Yeah, of course. And, and, and you're right, we, we are in contact with, with them. Um, and they are, again, advocating for the American consumer. They are delivering the message that, you know, the consumer is, uh, you know, stands to bear the brunt of the impact of any, any moves by the American government. Because a tariff is is effectively just a tax like on yourself. Um, you know, the American consumer depends on an integrated North American and, 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 and global trading system, for that matter. Uh, but on the automotive side, particularly an integrated and smooth, uh, smoothly flowing set of trade policies between Canada and the United States and, and Mexico and the American consumer depends on that, um, that you know, that free trade in, in, in automotive. Um, you know, for example, in Canada, we made 2.2 million vehicles in this country last year, um, well over 80 percent of which went to the U.S. market. Uh, so that's almost 2 million vehicles finished vehicles that were made in Canada that uh, were destined for the American consumer. Um, Any, you know, tariff those imports into America, whether it's 25 percent or anything close to that, would represent, again, a massive tax hike on the American consumer. And they are the ones right now looking at the most immediate threat. And our American counterparts are are busy delivering that message in Washington and elsewhere.
0: We have to also include the broader context here that, uh, that this is not just a North American problem. If, in fact, these tariffs go into play, uh, you've got to be concerned because obviously a, there are voices in Europe right now that are concerned that, uh, that Trump could actually do that to the German car makers as well. So, I mean, this, this becomes a global situation that's going to have a, a, a ripple effect right through the whole industry.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, we, we live in a, in a global economy. We, we have all benefited as consumers uh, from trade liberalization over the past generation and, and more. And right now what we have is a, is a, is a president who is, uh, you know, he's proven himself willing to upend that entire uh, system uh, for, you know, benefits, I guess, that, that uh, he, he's pitching to his voters that will be hard to deliver in the event of, uh, of, of you know, going nuclear in terms of the, the tariff question, be it from Canada or Mexico or Germany or Japan or, or wherever. Um So, you know, he said that trade wars are easy to win. Uh, I I don't think that anybody uh, who has had any experience in this sector or any other would would agree with that statement. Uh, They're not easy to win. Nobody wins. Uh, Everybody loses in in this situation. Um, And again, we we just hope that the worst can be avoided, that this is, you know, a a classic um, move, I guess, by the president to... um, signal a, a, a nuclear option and then at the end of the day not go with something that's severe. But we have to be, again, prepared for the worst and, and, and hope for the best and continue, not just hope for the best, but continue to work actively to, uh, you know, encourage all of those voices in America and elsewhere to deliver the message that, you know, this, this would be a catastrophic set of, of, uh, of policies if America went down this road.
0: I know this report's relatively new, Michael, but uh, is our federal government listening to, you, to your concerns at this stage?
2: Yeah, for sure they are. And we've been, you know, uh, even independently of this report that we put out on Friday, we've, we've been meeting with, uh, you know, the prime minister's team uh, in, in regular contact with them, with the Office of the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Um, you know, we, we appeared at the International Trade Committee a couple of weeks ago in Ottawa with our president and, uh, and, and a dealer member as well to deliver that message that, you know, these uh, policies, if they're implemented, are going to have a real impact on the ground in terms of lost jobs, in terms of, you know, tax hikes on consumers. Um, and, and, we're you know, we're busy every day delivering that message, and and, and we will continue to do that with uh, with the current government. And, and, and they are listening. They are getting a message. They are on the same page, obviously, uh, as us when, when it comes to these questions.
0: Well, fingers crossed. Hopefully people are going to listen to this and, and, and calmer heads and more sensible heads will prevail on this. Michael, great report. Uh, thanks so much for the great work on this and uh, continued good luck. I hope it works out.
2: Yeah, you and me both, thanks so much for the (laughs) opportunity to chat this morning. I really appreciate it.
0: Okay, take care. We'll stay in touch. Michael Hatch, Chief Economist with the Canadian Automobile Dealers Association.
3: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show
0: podcast on 900 CHML. On Friday, police announced that charges have been laid against the truck driver in that tragic Humboldt-Broncos bus crash that we talked about that shocked not just that community, but shocked the nation, I think and probably extend that right across to North America, since uh, the National Hockey League and so many other uh, folks responded uh, to that and still continue to do so. Uh, it's been quite some time, and finally the charges were laid. And uh, Well, the impact that it has on the families is, is devastating and always will be, but uh, for Scott Thomas, who is the father of Evan Thomas, one of the players who passed away in the crash, uh, he says the charges reflect pretty much what he already knew.
2: It's definitely a, a bittersweet
1: moment, I would say. Um I mean, it confirms what I knew right from the start when we were at the crash scene that night, that there was negligence there, that the semi-driver
2: did something he shouldn't have been doing.
0: Adam McVicker is a video journalist with Global News in Saskatchewan. and have been following the story from the beginning, and he joins us uh, to bring us an update on this. Adam, thanks so much for the time today. Good having you uh, on the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, first, an obvious question is, what took them so long to lay charges?
3: that's something we've been trying to determine as well i know about two months into this uh, investigation um we asked rcmp where are you guys at with this investigation can we get a bit of an update and they haven't been very uh open about what's been going on they have not been very transparent about what's going on we got a, a bit of the update on friday with the charges about you know how much data they've had to analyze and things like that but um as of why this took so long, I honestly just believe the public interest in this case, obviously worldwide attention it's garnering, but as well as this amount of data they've had to, uh, they, they took over 6,000 photos at the scene. We're talking uh, crash uh, reenactment, the collision reenactment, um, the driver's logbook drone footage as well as over 60 interviews there's 20 investigators assigned to this case and a hundred others that have been kind of coming in and out so the sheer size of this case and, and the mix with the public interest is what i believe is taking uh or what took so long before charges were laid and they are significant
0: charges 16 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death 13 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing bodily harm which would account for the injuries and, and obviously for the fatalities in a situation like this. But I, I guess the frustration a lot of us are feeling, Adam, is, and I don't mean to be flippant about this, it sort of looked like a no-brainer. I mean, there was a truck that was traveling that obviously ran a stop sign and a bus that seemed to be following all the rules, and you would have thought the charges would have been
3: imminent, certainly after the, 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 the accident itself. Yeah, and I think the big thing was they wanted to make sure that they got this one right when it came to the charges and and exactly what happened. Um, I know that there's been a lot of of very hateful comments online towards the driver and even people with the same name as the driver and I know throughout this investigation anything, uh, any of the stories that Global did about the uh, crash investigation or about the trucking company, there was a lot of, of backlash and a lot of uh public outrage um just based on that so i think the rcmp wanted to make sure they got this one right when it came to laying these charges and like you said yes very significant charges uh, laid so far in this one what kind of an impact has this had on the community I, I mean
0: i i don't want to suggest for a second that the healing has begun but uh you know there have been some heroic stories the people that have stepped forward and, and of the victims themselves that have uh, tried to get on with their lives but uh, does does this just open that wound all over again
3: I mean it's, it is tough um, things have been better since I mean it's only been three months Friday was the f- three-month anniversary of the crash and um, that's when they did announce those charges would be laid we're hearing from some of the f- family members of course you just played uh, uh, Scott Thomas's clip mm-hmm. there we heard from um, uh, Ryan Straczynski's father as well you know saying it's you know it's it is a bittersweet uh, uh moment to hear about these charges. The team as well, they released a statement saying that they have faith in the justice system and they're going to watch closely as the court process plays out, but not really commenting any further. So I feel like uh, a lot of people just this might help in the closing enclosure when it comes to this process, but I don't think anything will ever be the same in that community, of course, with all the the attention and the spotlight that they've received from this crash. Um, but I believe the healing process has has um, begun in that community and begun amongst a lot of the people involved in the crash. That's something we've been following along on, the people coming together in the community since day one. Um, but over the past few months, all the great acts of generosity from organizations like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders all the way to uh, different charities coming forward. I believe that healing process has started and uh, we're going to start to see some good news coming out of uh, the recovery process from some of these players that were involved. And, and we've
0: seen in the past when tragic events have happened like this, whether it's for the, for the fires in Fort McMurray or others, uh, after a while that, that interest and that compassion tends to wane just a little bit. I, I don't see that happening in Saskatchewan.
3: No, and, and it's and recently, like I mentioned, the riders they did a the Humboldt uh, Strong game. They had the players, uh, the survivors of the crash, come to the game, and and there there is interest in this case because I I believe there's. Been nothing else really like this one. I mean, it hit home for absolutely everybody. Anybody who's picked up a hockey stick before this one was like this one was a a just a a Canadian tragedy. Uh, It 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 hit everyone in their Canadian identity. I believe you know with with this hockey team traveling across the prairie uh, to a playoff game. We've all been there. And I believe that's why this one's gotten so much interest and why the interest isn't isn't stopping. And, of course, as the court process plays out, we're, that interest is only going to increase, I believe, with what is going to come out of this whole thing.
0: Well, and we've seen this. I mean, obviously, there have been other tragedies similar to this one in the past and in very similar circumstances, winter driving, uh, hockey tournaments. Uh, but it is, you're absolutely right, it is part of Canadiana. And it, and it has touched the, the hearts of so many people. I mean, even, of course, you know, legendary Tom Cochran rewrote that great song of his, uh, you know, Big League, uh, to, to try to, to tailor it, uh, to try to, I guess, to empathize with the families in Humboldt. And it, you don't often see that extent of, 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 of compassion for this, an ongoing compassion,
3: but uh, but it's certainly evident in this case. And that's something I realized you know when I, when we were actually in Humboldt, um, the the night of the vigil, and that's when it kind of hit. Um, originally, f- prior to that, I guess when I was in Nipowin, the night of the crash, uh, seeing social media when we got to the hotel room, it was like 4 a.m. and seeing the how far this thing spread uh, when we were there in Nipowin, and then when we got to Humboldt on that uh, Saturday, uh, the, and then. The uh, the Sunday with the vigil, it, it just that's when you really saw this the sheer reach of of this tragedy um, and and the people that came out. That's when we really realized that this thing is is unlike anything I've ever seen before uh, in my lifetime. What
0: kind of an impact did it have on you? I mean, we've all seen the you know the computer generated uh, scenarios of what may have happened on that road. Uh, and the carnage and, and the, the the devastation that we saw, but you were there. You you
3: had a look at this. That's something you don't soon forget. No, and it's been, it has been tough. I mean, things have been better since. I know um, immediately after it was definitely difficult, um, just because of of you know the... you. You 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 can relate to it. You can relate to to being on that bus for sure. I mean, the the night of obviously very very scary, uh, w- with seeing the emergency vehicles, some ambulances leaving with the lights off, and 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 things along those lines. Um, and being in the arena is probably where it hit the most. Uh, doing the doing hits across uh, across uh, the chorus network for uh, TV and radio from the actual arena they played in, the Elgar Peterson Arena in Humboldt. That's one probably when it hit the most. And you know you you have to take some time to yourself during that period of time. And it it has been a difficult story to cover, but I've seen a lot of good come out of it as well. I'm seeing a lot of good in people and a lot of good in that community, and that has helped tremendously throughout this entire process.
0: I know for uh, folks like yourself that have been covering this and, and actually been on those scenes. Uh, one of the common threads I hear through all the reports is is there there's ad- admiration uh, for first responders in the way that they they acted on this. Uh, as if you know, they knew exactly what to do, what to etcetera. There was there was no panic, there was no anything else. I mean uh, that's 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 something that you're looking for and they certainly delivered in in, in such a big way when this happened.
3: Uh, and that's something that that can't be forgotten is, is these first responders and some of these first responders that, you know, aren't from Saskatoon, but, you know, some that are from the Tisdale, Nipawin area, volunteer firefighters that, you know, they've never encountered anything like this before while re- responding in their uh, various jurisdictions. And I know I've heard from, from first responders in the Tisdale area near the crash that, you know, even to this day, I mean, I know it's only been a short three months, but, you know, it's still bothers them to this day they still have um trouble every single day you know since this crash happened so that's something that can't be forgotten the actual sacrifice these first responders made and and the the effort they put in to to really help players um uh, in this crash
0: this is uh, i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but obviously charges have been laid uh, mm. and, and obviously there's going to be a response to that and there's going to be a trial at some point. But this is this is going to be a, a, a trial with a very wide scope because I know you, you talked about some of the, the things that have come up as a result of this. It's not just about what happened that particular night, uh, but we've also had, uh, I, I think... Uh, tangential construct- or conversations about, about the, the amount of training that these sorts of drivers have. And, and it's different in Saskatchewan than it is in other parts. And I know the industry, the trucking industry has responded to this. This is this has been an eye-opening experience, I think, for an awful lot of people.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, um, the Canadian Trucking Alliance actually, because there are no charges against the trucking company itself yeah. uh, that, that uh, uh, Mr. C.D. was driving for, uh, but the Canadian Trucking Alliance said they did want the investigation results to be released into the from the investigation into the trucking company, um, and, and yes, it, there's been a, a large uh, sp- uh, spread, I guess, of an impact of you know should we change trucking uh, training should we change uh, rules on the highway and so there's been a lot of conversation about that and that's something we're going to see over the coming months now when it comes to the actual trial itself um, he's appearing in court um, in Saskatchewan this week Um, you know dangerous driving causing death the jail term is 14 years dangerous driving causing bodily harm the jail term is 10 years that's per count Um, it all depends though when it comes to a trial Will he plead guilty or not guilty? If he pleads not guilty, it will go to a trial and it will be quite an extended process because of just how the Canadian judicial system is. But if it, if he does plead guilty, it will be a shorter process. We will still hear what kind of get a picture painted about what happened. And that's when, um, so that's something we have to we have to wait to see what's going to happen here. His lawyer has not said anything, uh, did not respond to requests for comment. So it's only a matter of time before we see this whole thing unfold. And this it
0: goes beyond Saskatchewan, obviously. I mean, because this gentleman was arrested in Calgary. He got his license in Alberta. And I know that Saskatchewan has now revised their 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 regulations uh, for those who can get behind the wheel of these rigs, Alberta has not yet. So I mean, I, I got to think there's going to be a lot more in the way of investigations uh, about that process that are going to be part of this.
3: I mean, the the trucking company as well in Alberta was suspended from the Alberta government. They're investigating as well. So you know, this I mean, this could create cross Canada change uh, from from this uh, crash here because you know. Um, multiple governments have now stepped in and we'll see what the RCMP has to say um and, and and it's only I guess like I said a matter of time before we, maybe we see some legislative changes. I know the uh, I know the MLAs are on their summer break right now, but when they return during the fall sitting, will we see some legislation regarding um, trucking company rules um, in the province? And will we see the same in Alberta? I mean, it's definitely possible. But what the Canadian Trucking Alliance wants with the release uh, with the releasing of the details into the investigation of the trucking company is a is a big step as well because um it is kind of strange to see that the uh the driver was charged but there was no charges no no fines or anything for the actual trucking company itself so that's something that uh we'll definitely have some questions around when it comes to this process well and and that's we talked to people in the industry just a day or
0: two after that in the trucking industry and and i gotta tell you adam they were somewhat surprised that somebody with that level of experience was driving that kind of a rig uh, under those circumstances, and uh, uh, and the fact that no charges were laid against the company itself, maybe tends to to point toward the fact that the uh, the restrictions are pretty lax in that province, and in Alberta for that matter,
3: uh, and that's that's got to be part of this conversation. And that's and that's definitely got to be part of the conversation. But prior to my reporting career, back way back when, I, I worked for a trucking company uh, in a warehouse, making money during my summers for to go to school. And you know, you did see drivers who are very inexperienced behind the wheel. But you know, you always just assume, just begin, just they're just beginners, right? But um, you know, that that might play into something where we start to see uh, the experience factor. Uh, being raised to a, to a higher level, to be on these routes and to be tra- traveling with the cargo you're traveling with, and and in the areas you're tra- you're traveling in, so um, it's definitely something we are hearing about that people with not as much experience as we think driving these big rigs um, are are out there on the highways. How's how's the community
0: responding to this? As you mentioned that the anniversary of this was just a couple of days ago, the three month anniversary. Uh, and we've seen some of the stories of of people that have been released from hospital and started their rehab and and those are remarkable stories in and of themselves but uh, but this cast a a large cloud over this whole community are they are they are they moving on you can never forget this but at the same time
3: this seemed to be a very caring and a very uh, tight knit community and and i can only imagine the community has just gotten tighter since this that's something uh, we noticed immediately was how quickly everybody came together Uh, at the arena there, uh, throughout the weekend and into the week, uh, of that crash. Um, and then post that, post crash now we're seeing You know, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders during training camp did a practice out there, and the entire community came out. Uh, Quilts uh, were made and being sent from across Canada, around the world, being sent to the arena. Um, And and now we're hearing that that first game um, is going to be broadcast nationally on on TSN when they return. And, you know, um, so the community, I would imagine, is definitely healing it's not going to be a quick process it's, this is going to take time but it each little showing of support i believe does help and 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 the community definitely is seeing how much attention this thing is getting and and i i would imagine from from their perspective they are feeling that as well very emotional time obviously for the people in humboldt saskatchewan with these
0: charges being laid uh, adam thanks so much for the great work you're doing on bringing these stories to us and thanks again for the time today Well, thank you for having me. Take care. Adam McVicker, video journalist, of course, who works for Global Saskatchewan with uh, the story of the reaction uh, to that community, that uh, very tight-knit community after charges laid in that tragic accident. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.